Good morning, everyone. I must admit, when we had the opportunity to stand up here and share a message, I was quite glad I got to choose the one on restoration because it gives me the opportunity to talk about something which I enjoy watching. Who likes watching TV shows about people restoring things and fixing things? Is it? Not renovating, because that's something different, but restoring. So, here's some of my favourite shows that I enjoy watching. American Pickers. Now, who loves that show? I certainly do. Isn't it amazing what they can find and rummage through in people's backyards and old sheds and gardens and find things which are perceived to have no value, but yet in the eyes of different people, they are really, really precious. And then you take this American guy in the middle, American Restoration, Rick lives in Las Vegas, and if you've seen his show, his yard is always full of bits and pieces, particularly Coke, Coca-Cola uh, fridges and things. But what his team does is be able to take something which has been totally destroyed and bring it back to its original condition. And he's got a team of people who dedicatedly work on that. And then one of my all-time favourites is Restoration Australia. Because when you look at what people go and do in the houses that they find, and then they go, wow, isn't it amazing how people really want to dedicate their life to to fixing up something um, which the world or or nature has destroyed. And I'm really fascinated how people can take, I mean, I'm not a bricklayer by any means, but if you look at the stonemasons and how people go and painstakingly put together the bricks and repoint everything, it's amazing, fascinating. So if we look at the verb, restoration, and I'll get out of the front so you can read it, it says to return something or someone to an earlier condition or position to bring something back into existence. So I want you to keep that in the back of your mind. To return something or someone to an earlier condition or position and to bring something back into existence. Now the passage that we read this morning that Kath read for us is we've got Jesus on the beach with his disciples having a meal. But let's go back and see what happened. How did they get to this point um, that we got this morning? So before there was fish to cook on the fire, the fish had to be caught. And if you read the, 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 the verses preceding this one, there was a man standing on a shore and there was people fishing. And he called out to them and said, have you caught any fish? And the answer was no. And this man then said to him, put your nets out on the other side of the boat, which they did. And miraculously, the nets were so full of fish that they couldn't pull them in. Scripture even says to us, 153 is the number that they were caught. This is where Peter recognises that that person is Jesus and he jumps into the water and he goes ashore. Have we heard something similar before? Where where did we hear something similar before? It was when Jesus went and called Simon to come and follow me. Remember that stage where Jesus was walking and he saw the disciples out in the boat and he said to them, have you caught anything? And they said, we've been fishing all night. 
And then Jesus said to them, why didn't you go out a little bit further, put your nets in again? And that's what happened. They put the nets in again and they were so full of fish. Think again of, of <clears throat> Peter. After providing this miraculous catch of fish, he caused Peter to become his apostle, his disciple. But if you think of the life of Peter, <clears throat> in Mark chapter 14, Peter is the one who goes, even if all fall away, Lord, I will not. So Peter declares his undying love for God or for Jesus. And he says, even if everyone run away, I will be the one, yeah, I'll be the one here for you. I will never turn aside. But it's funny, just a few days earlier in this passage, before we read this passage, we've got G- we see Peter again standing by a fire amongst other people and three times he denies Jesus. Three times he denies Jesus. Now we come to this point in the passage where Jesus again provides a miraculous catch of fish. Peter recognizes him. It's actually the third time that Jesus has appeared to his disciples since his resurrection. And he invites them to come for a meal. Bring the fish and let's eat. Now the passage we read, and if we put ourselves in Peter's shoes, and I want you to think of this word restoration, how does this fit into what we're going to look at this morning? Because Jesus starts asking him some questions. And when you think about this, well, what's the first thing you notice? It's highlighted in yellow. He says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He doesn't call him Peter. He calls him Simon. And you go, why does he call him Simon if he previously called him Peter? So if you think of who was he before he became Peter, he was Simon, son of John. So when Peter refers to him, so when Jesus refers to him as Simon, he's going back, remember where you were. You were once Simon. So Jesus takes him back to where he came from. You were Simon, son of John. And then he simply asks him this question. Do you love me more than these? Now, for us, it's quite easy to imagine. We've read this passage. We've seen it. But can you imagine if you were in Peter's shoes that morning and you hadn't seen any of these words before? How would you feel if Jesus comes up to you and he goes, Mark, Nadine, do you love me more than these? How would you feel? How would you feel knowing what you've done? Think of it. A few days earlier, you stood next to a fire and you said, I swear I don't know the man. I don't know him. I don't know him. You have denied him three times. How would you feel? Maybe let's bring it into, into our life today. What about, think back a little bit when you went to school. What was it like going to the headmaster's office? And somebody said, oh, you've got to go to the headmaster's office. What was it like? Maybe in a work environment you get called into the CEO's office. You're going, oh, 
right? What have I done? Or even worse, think of a friend that you've maybe betrayed or broken a promise to. And if you stand in front of that person, how big is that elephant in the room? How are you going to feel? How are you going to talk? So this is where, where Peter is standing in front of Jesus with this, these feelings of trepidation. All the thoughts, right? Now you've called me, I followed you, I said I was never going to leave you or forsake you, but you know, yet three days earlier, I said I didn't even know you. And now we're standing in front of Jesus. What would we have asked Peter? Why did you do it? How could you do it? Do you know how much that hurt me? What were you thinking? Now, Peter was no doubt remorseful about what had happened, about his actions and his failings. But Jesus doesn't harp on that. Instead, he asks him a question. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? It's an interesting question that he asks. But he wants to be sure where Peter's heart is. Peter responded, you know I love you. And by declaring his love, Peter is showing his repentant heart. But the question also has the second part, do you love me more than these? So what is these that, that Jesus is referring to? So if you think of where Peter was standing that morning, he was standing in the midst of his disciples. So Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these disciples love me? Maybe Simon, son of John, do you love me more than you love these disciples? Peter had been fishing, his old occupation. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these boats, more than these nets, more than this life that you've got? Do you love me more than what you have? Is what Jesus is referring to. Now that becomes quite a deeper question when he asks, do you love me more than this life you have here? And look at Peter's response. Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. So in response to all of that that's in that question, Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then Jesus gives him an instruction. Feed my lambs. Now, when you unpack that section as well, if you go and have a think, there's a, there's a passage, I think it's in, in, in Luke chapter 7, where Jesus was meeting um, with a Pharisee. And he told the Pharisee a story of two men who owed a money lender some, some money, and neither of them had the debt or the money to pay the guy back. And the money lender forgave them their debts and said, don't worry about paying it back. And Jesus asked the Pharisee, who would love that money lender more? The one who owed him a little or the one who owed him a lot? And the Pharisee replied, the one who would have owed him a lot would have loved him more because his debt was bigger. Think of the debt that Peter had. Yeah, Jesus comes to him and he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? So yeah, Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know I love you. So Peter's debt is in the process of being paid and Jesus is working through that in this discussion with him. But he goes on to say, 
look after my lambs. Now, yeah, he wants to be sure that Peter's heart is in the right place if he's going to entrust his flock to him. That's quite funny, isn't it, when, when you sit and think of that? Jesus often refers to himself as the shepherd, the one who looks after the flock. And now he's going to Peter and he says, feed my lambs. Jesus continues and he asks the same question again. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. And then Jesus says, then take care of my sheep. First it was lambs, now it's sheep. A third time, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him a question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said, feed my sheep. So why does Jesus ask him the question three times? Have you figured it out yet? I'm sure Peter did too, right? Three times he denied Christ. And three times Jesus asked him the same question and restores. Three times. But if you go and have a look, once again, part of this restoration process is going, right, we're going to forgive you for what you've done, but remember I still called you for a particular purpose. So the instruction is, feed my sheep, Feed my, or feed my lambs, feed my sheep, and feed my sheep. So if you go and have a look at what Jesus is going to, saying to Peter, is I want you to be like a shepherd to my people. Friday night we picked up a new puppy at home. Now for those of you, we haven't had a puppy in the house for quite a while, but it brings a whole new environment to looking after something which is small. Right? Think back to the time maybe when you had kids and looking after kids. I'm not sure which is easier, babies or puppies. Right? You probably couldn't put a kid in a cage, could you? <laughs> probably not. What, didn't you do it, Ron? Yeah, yeah, okay. I thought it was only me, but anyway, all right. <laughs> but yeah, the, the thing is looking after a puppy, looking after a lamb... Is different to looking after a sheep. Right? So you need to feed them, care them, nurture them. Same for us as people. As young Christians, people need to be fed, cared for, and nurtured. Then as we continue our walk in, in, in the Christian faith, we become like the sheep, more adult. Um, and we can care and feed for ourselves, but we still need the shepherd to look after us. And this is the imagery that, that Jesus is going to Peter. He says, I want you to look after my, my sheep. I want you to feed my lambs like a shepherd would look after a flock. So it's not only caring and tendering or tending for those that you have in the midst, but what about those that are lost? What about the lost sheep? Jesus told a parable about the shepherd leaving the 99 sheep and going out to look for that one. So this is the instruction that that Jesus is giving to Peter. I want you to care for my flock 
as a shepherd cares for his flock of sheep and lambs, to care for them, to look after them, to feed them, to nurture them, to go and seek those that are lost, to look out for them. Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my lambs. If we continue to read, he goes on to say, I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do what you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus said to him, follow me. Now there is a lot you can unpack even in that verse. But I'm going to probably summarise it very shortly um, because I want to focus back on that restoration part. So let's go back to the beginning. When Jesus first called Peter, it was after he miraculously provided an enormous catch of fish. And here after a similar miracle, Jesus again restores Peter's calling as an apostle. He doesn't only restore him, but he goes, remember what I called you to do right in the beginning. Right. Remember his name was changed from Simon to Peter. Jesus refers to him as Simon in this passage. Remember where you came from. Okay, I called you to be a fisher of men. And if we root through the book of Acts and in the New Testament, we can read about the ministry of Peter. Jesus even referred to in, 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 in an earlier part of his ministry that Peter was the rock on which he was going to build his church. And here we can see this has been restored to him through Jesus and this meal on the beach. He does indeed become the rock on which Peter built his church, or Jesus built his church. As I said, we can, there's a lot to unpack in that passage. There's, there's really a lot. You can look at the, the, the word love that is used. There's two different Greek messages or Greek um, words for love. We can go into that on a different time, but I want to focus particularly on the part of restoration. And I want us to step back into the shoes of Peter. So let's put ourselves back into Peter's shoes. Can you imagine yourself standing in front of Jesus that morning? How would you be standing? Would you be nervous? Would you be looking at the ground? Would you be able to look at him in the eye and going, you know, because you would know what you've done. Now, how, how do you feel? You, know? you knew what you said to the people around the campfire that you didn't know him at all. How do you stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords when you know that you have betrayed him? What, if anything, can you do? Is there anything that we can do? Probably not. So you've got to stand there and hear this message and Jesus doesn't condemn him, he doesn't break him down, but Jesus comes and reinstates him, his calling as an apostle. 
If you look at this picture that's on the screen of a house, a farmhouse, think of what this house would have to endure in this world. Wind, sunshine, hail, maybe sandstorms. But yet this one is still standing in some way, shape or form. So that's probably testament to the way that it was constructed originally. But when you look at the house, it probably also depends on the way that it's been maintained and the way that it's been cared for. Now looking at that one, that probably hasn't had somebody living in it for for a long time. A long, long time if you look at the state of disrepair. Now I'm sure if we can think back to COVID times, pre-COVID times, we've all travelled. So I want to take you on a bit of a journey. So if you've travelled overseas, think of the houses you've seen overseas. Maybe you've travelled around Australia. Think of the houses that you've seen. Think about the houses you've seen in Victoria. Think of the houses you've seen in Melbourne. Think of the houses you see in your suburb. The houses you see in your street. Now think of you standing in front of your own house. What do you see? Through all of these journeys you'd seen houses with different, I suppose, levels of uh, restoration or degradation. Some houses have been lovingly cared for. Some houses look like maybe the grass is that high, nothing's been done to them. Maybe some houses even look like this that you've seen upon your journey. Now if you think of this, how would you start to restore that? You probably need a a lot of money, number one. You probably need a lot of people. You probably need council approval, I, I suppose. I'm sure. But if you think of that, some people might think it's a lost cause. Why bother? Let's just break it down and start again. Let's go back to what we said restoration is. To return something to or someone to an earlier condition or position or bring something back into an existence. So when you think about that as a house, that house is really powerless to do anything itself. It requires people to come and fix it up. People with abilities, gifts, talents, people with money, people with the strength and the people with the resolve to come and restore that. Now I'm going to stretch you. Think of yourself as a house. What? Think of yourself as a house. And maybe let's go back to that. Think of yourself as a house. Right? You can see some people are laughing. Yeah. What state would you be in if you were a house? What? Right. This poor old house has been exposed to the elements, right? The wind, the rain, neglect, everything. But what about ourselves? So if we think of ourselves, what have we experienced in life? Has it been smooth sailing? Has it everything been great? Has everything been perfect? 
I'm definitely not going to say that. What about the struggles? What about the scars that, that life has left on you and, and left on me? You know, maybe there's a bit of rust. You know, maybe there's a bit of cracks here and there. Maybe a bit of things that, that don't work so well. Maybe things creak. So if you think of yourself as a person, what has life done to you and to me? So now what does restoration look like if we want to be made whole to become something that we had earlier to bring something back into its existence? Now life is not meant to be hard but unfortunately many people experience it that way. Sometimes we go through struggles and it's just hard just to get through every day. you look at this passage that Paul speaks about in Romans and I want to read it for us, it says you see at just the right time when we were still powerless Christ died for the ungodly very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die but God demonstrated his love for us in this While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? So let's go back. We are powerless to ensure our restoration. There's nothing that you and I can do to restore ourselves. This is all about the work that Jesus has done on the cross for you and for me. And as I said, life, even though it's not meant to be hard, quite often we find life being very, very hard. And we can be powerless to do anything about it. Maybe as a result of this this life that we live, we pick up the scars, the hurt, the burdens, the pain and we turn away from God. Similar to what Peter did, I don't know you. We go things our own way, we do things in our own strength and then we end up with a a life which looks something like this and we think how can anybody possibly want to fix that? How can anybody possibly want to fix me for what I've done, for what I've said, for the way I live my life? But then you read this wonderful passage which which Paul talks about. While we were still powerless, Christ died for us. Another version says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Isn't it amazing to see that God had already this all worked out for your restoration and and for mine? Because God wants to restore you and God wants to restore me to that which he's called us to. To be his sons and his daughters. We are his flock. We are his lambs and his sheep. 
So while you and I are powerless to, to do anything about it, Jesus comes and pays the ultimate sacrifice and gives up his life for us so that we can be restored, that we can be made whole, that we can be renewed, that our lives will live forever with him. And Paul even says in this passage here, it's probably an unusual thing for somebody to die to give up their life for somebody else. And maybe if the person was a good person, yeah, I might consider it. So maybe I think to my, would I consider giving up my wife or my life for my wife or for the kids? Yeah. But what about your enemies? So let's, who's the most, think of the vilest person on earth at the moment. Maybe the name Putin or somebody comes up. Would you die for him? I probably wouldn't. But you know, Jesus did. Jesus died for him. Jesus died for you and he died for me. In order for us to be restored, to be made whole. So while we were hopeless, while we were still enemies, right? And while, here we go. So while we were hopeless, while we were helpless, while we were still sinners, and while there's nothing we can possibly do about it, Jesus came and did something about it and he restores you and me. All our debts are paid and we've been set free. And unfortunately what often happens in life is we look at the problems and the, and the issues and the things that are facing us and we draw our attention away from God. So what we should be doing as, as, as Christians is acknowledging the work that Jesus has done in the same way that Peter has said, I love you. You know that I love you. That should be our response. Jesus, in spite of all that's going on, I love you. And I'm going to focus my attention on you because that is what you've called me to do. And when I declare my love for you, I know that through faith you are restoring me and I will be with you in paradise. I will have eternal life. So our response is to say, Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. In closing, I want to say, if you were standing in front of Jesus this morning, how many questions would he have to ask you? How many times would he have to ask you, do you love me? He asked Peter three times. He might have to ask me three times in one day. Maybe three times in an hour. But the most important thing is that we respond to this love um, and this grace that Jesus gives to us. So when he asks Mark, do you love me? My answer should be yes. You know that I love you. And my life should reflect that. My life should reflect that I love God. And then God will come 
through his son Jesus and restore our lives back to him. It's an amazing piece to know that Jesus is in the restoration business, if I can put that in in inverted commas, because he cares about your life and my life. But he also cares about the other people out there, those that are lost, those that are not in a relationship with him. And he calls you and me to go out and share the good news, to share the grace and the love of God to the people out there, to show the world what it looks like to have Christ in your life. And as we bear the fruit of the Spirit, people will see that in our lives and wonder, what have you got that I need? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we want to thank you for this passage on restoration. Father God, we want to thank you that through this reading of Peter, you were able to restore unto him that which you had called him many, many years before. We want to thank you, Lord, that you were able to restore and call him anew. And as we read through Scripture, Lord, we want to thank you that we can see how your spirit moved. Lord God, this morning we also want to come before you as, as your people. And Lord, we want to acknowledge how, how desperately we need restoration. How desperately, Lord, we need that love and that reaffirmment in, in our lives as well. Father, we want to come before you this morning and, and say that we are powerless, we are helpless to do anything about it that we are unworthy, Lord, to be called your sons and your daughters. But Father, we want to thank you for your love. A love, Lord, that looks past our brokenness, a love which looks past the hurt, which looks past the suffering. But it's a love, Lord, that looks inside and sees what we once were. And it is a love that wants to make us reunited with you. So, Father God, this morning, we commit our lives anew to you, Father. And we pray, Lord, that you would come and restore that in our lives that, that needs to get fixed. That you would come, Lord, and restore everything that you need to do in our lives. Father, we want to thank you for your love is a love, Lord, that we often don't understand and we cannot fathom. But Lord, we want to thank you that while we were still sinners and while we were your enemies and while we were helpless and hopeless, you came and died for us. That you came to set us free. And for that we want to thank you and we want to give you praise. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.